This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric, of course. And welcome to our Easter Sunday edition of Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club. I was just wondering which episode this was. I was like... (laughs) What are we talking about? What episode are we doing? But before we get into a gruesome murder that took place on Holy Saturday, Eric Quinn, I have a confession to make. I'm going to start calling Saturday Holy Saturday. It's like, holy guacamole, Batman. Holy Saturday. (laughs) I didn't know that was a thing. Well, you do love that song about Friday, which you oh, sing every time I, really, I bring up every Friday. Every Friday, every Friday, I listen to that. Do you want to? Do you want to sing a little bit of it so they know no. what you're talking about? No, no? no it's oh, not Friday. Oh. Okay, it's not Friday. It's not Friday. All right, it's well, Sunday. go Google the song Friday if you want to know what we're talking about. Maybe we'll post it on the page. Our Wednesday question will be: What's your favorite day of the week? The only correct answer is Friday. Right. Friday. Um, I always feel a compulsion. Or an obligation to confess to you when I watch an episode of reality television that is not true crime focused. And you may have suspected this already, but the other night I watched an episode of a very popular show that I had always heard tell of, but I had never watched myself. It's called Pitbulls and Parolees. That's a show? And it's a show. It's about a woman who runs a, re- a shelter for pitbulls. And she hires mostly parolees because the pit bulls need a second chance and the parolees need a second chance. And I have to say, I, it's all on Discovery Plus, which we keep talking about, even though we are not officially sponsored by which Discovery we're, we're Plus. Apparently, auditioning to be their spokespeople. <laughs> we are. I was. Ri- it's like here's what I here's my defense of it. Okay. I don't like most reality television shows. I realize you're under no obligation to defend a show you had nothing to do with and only watched once. But go ahead. Twice, unfortunately, I watched that twice. Um, Usually on those reality shows, they're having stupid fights. You know, they're throwing wine at each other. It's like it's all ginned up, fake conflict, and it's it's it feels exploitive of the people in it. Whatever, because the dogs are the focus of the show, the people who work there, yet, I'm only two episodes in, and they're 16 seasons, aren't fighting with each other in that, yeah, 16, 16 seasons on Discovery Plus. I was like, oh my God, like, yeah. I've never even heard of this show. I can't believe you haven't heard of it, because it's It's really popular. It's been on for 16 years? My God. Well, in... Reality shows get produced really quickly. I don't know if that averages out to 16 years. Okay, I was eight shocked. years. You know, half of that right. time. Like eight years yeah. is still, I would be astonished. Anyway, yeah. do go ahead. So the dogs anyway. are, uh, they discuss things civilly and work things out. And so it's not. <laughs> no, the dogs require so much maintenance. The people have to work together to take care of the dogs. The dogs are the problem and not like that bitch housewife from Brooklyn or whatever. You know, like. They have to have a common purpose. And the dog. every time they open a cage to do anything with the dogs, it's like, oh, my God, what's the dog going to do? But um, they, the staff so far seems to be working in harmony, and the attacks are coming from occasionally from the canines. And, you know, like, Pipples, very controversial, but I will say this, two episodes in, the woman who, Tia, runs the shelter – She's not about a lot of propaganda. She says, I make decisions of this pit bull cannot go Her with this family. Her name is because... Hutia? No, Tia. <laughs> Tia, T-I-A. I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I just do a sharp intake of breath and made it sound like Hutia? the woman, Hutia. <laughs> the woman, Hutia. No, she's the ancient goddess who presides over the land on thought, which wow, the shelter. wow, that's a great name, Hutia. Like, wow, <laughs> like Hortense and yeah. Hutia. The, Her- yeah. <laughs> The Lost Gabor Sisters. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, no. Tia, T-I-A, I believe okay. is her name. Um, 
she she will tell people, no, this pit bull cannot go with you because it will kill your other dog. And she's not kidding. She's not like, it'll get in a fight with your dog. It will kill your, your little yippy dog that won't leave it the fuck alone. So she's got a real nuanced understanding of pit bulls oh, and how they need to be show. <laughs> oh rehabilitated. God. Yeah. And that's, so I was completely, and it's like, the dogs are so beautiful and so adorable. And you can totally see why some people completely fall in love with pit bulls. I'm absolutely terrified of them. And um, have gotten hate mail for saying so in the past. But, you know, it's a complicated subject. <laughs> Knock yourself and, out. Still right. terrified. Still terrified. Um, and it has absolutely nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. But I just needed to let you know that I'm that if You're I talk to you in the future. Yes. Pitbulls yes. and... Parolees. Pitbulls and, and parolees. I wonder what, the next time I bring up this show, what the title is that I will come up with. It won't be that. Be, it will be Daffy and Whimsical because Pit all of your titles and are. pierogies or something. It'll be totally <laughs> new. Well, is there anything you want to confess to having watched recently before we get into this? You know, this true I've crime really TV been club? pretty upfront about my uh, guilty pleasure TV viewing, and uh, you have stronger opinions about some of my viewing choices than oh, I do. God. So, just one, just one. There's just one that's in you and my mother both like it, and it just makes me want to run screaming out of the room. Now, okay, so it's not Mallorca files. You're all in for Mallorca files. I'm not. I, I don't. I don't have a burning hatred for Mallorca files. Like I could watch an episode with you and just be like okay we're watching a television show i'm not really crazy about and you liked hawaii Five O. hawaii Five O was fun to look at and those boys were cute yeah. so that was fine but midsummer murders just makes me want to drown myself in a teapot i just i can't i, I just and can't. i've got a teapot that's probably big enough um absolutely because <laughs> you ordered it online and thought it was half that the size that it really was factor at amazon where the stuff that you order is always bigger than you think it's gonna be Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hot tub teacup is uh is awaiting. Um, okay, that's enough tomfoolery, right? That's enough. We need to no, get serious. We're here all about tomfoolery. We may talk about the the murder trial now, or the murder episode, the true mm-hmm. crime episode, but um, there will still be tomfoolery. I, I make there no will promises be tomfoolery. About, about the time we got a really good tom and an excellent foolery, and there would be a shame to waste them. Absolutely. Okay, so we went looking for an Easter Sunday themed episode, and typically what has happened on True Crime TV Club in the past is every holiday centered crime that we can find a show about is a rampaging, horrifying family massacre. I think we did that twice Thanksgiving and Christmas. We did. It seems like there was one more. Yeah. The, the I, well, New Year's. The, yeah. Wasn't there a New Year's Eve? New Year's, yes. There was a new, yeah, yeah, just awful. So disturbing and so tragic. And to be fair, I did find an Easter rampage, which was at the time the largest um, family mass killing uh, at a single, uh, at a single shot. Well, not a single shot, but at a single episode. Right. But but we found this one, which is. But the problem is, we're looking for murders. Right. And, but also, like, I just qualified your choice, not because I, we should stop covering family massacres, because <laughs> they're as real a crime as any other that we talk about. But the special, the screen cap for the special episodes on Amazon was all the same guy sitting behind a desk, and it looked like the show itself was... I'm a guy, sort of like us. I'm a guy who just wants to talk about crimes with the camera running. We run microphones and recording devices that aren't cameras. But, you know, I was like, we need a little bit. We need to, we need reenactors. We need a focus on actual law enforcement. Anyway, and I feel like we got that here. What we also got with this episode, and I'll give the title, season number, and episode number in a second, is some of the best cinematography I think we've had on True Crime TV Club yet. Like the visual aesthetics of this gothic episode. This whole, yeah. I, I was, I was really into. I want to. There were some other episodes that seemed intriguing. I think this is a, a series we will return to. It's, it's mm-hmm. called what? What's the series? The called? Lake Erie Murders. And so it's about I'm that gonna, if, region of the world, and right? It, it really captured that, and there was, it was really, it was kind of a remarkable looking show. I, I was, I was taken with it. I, I'm with you. 
But let me be clear about something because this threw me off at the beginning. And I, I, if I hadn't found the individual episode by searching for certain things, the Lake Erie murders looked to me like it was a recurring series about the same series of murders. And the second season, at least, is not. They're all individual crimes. I avoided oh, yeah. it because I was like, oh, I don't want to commit to a 10 episode series. I'm looking for something else. These are individual episodes focused on individual crimes in that region, the region of Lake Erie. And this one takes place in Toledo, Ohio, which. I didn't know it was on Lake Erie until I watched this special. Isn't that where the um where Lake Erie caught on fire was in Toledo? It was so I'm polluted sure. at one point in the seventies that the lake itself actually wow. caught on fire. I think that's yeah. right. Forgive mm-hmm. me, Lake Erie, if I am besmirching you. And I think they have done gone, you know, moved heaven and earth to clean it up. But yeah. it was at the time, I think that was the case, and I think that was at Toledo where that yeah. happened. Hence the case, Absolutely. Holy Toledo. Uh, and is that- <laughs> Holy Toledo, the lake is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> if that's really where it came from, I want one of our party people to tell us. But if it's not, I, I totally don't want to know that, that it's not. I, yes, I really sure hope so, but I really totally don't think that has anything to do with it. I'm just all on that because of Holy Saturday. I still haven't gotten past that. I walked around yeah. the house all day saying, Holy Saturday. Holy Saturday, because it is Saturday when we were recording this podcast. So it's all synchronicitous, synchronicity, synchronous. Okay, let's get into the really horrible stuff here, because this is this is pretty horrible. Just because there's not a mass murder of a family in this, it's still absolutely horrific because it's still a murder. It's still a true crime show and it's still about a murder. And I don't mean to diminish any murders as somehow being better or, or less worse than others, but um, this is particularly going to be challenging for people who are members of the Catholic faith because it, well, you'll see. Um, so I screwed up our notes again this week, so I'm going to do my best to give a timeline of the crime, <laughs> even though I neglected to put one together. But it's 1980. We're in Toledo, Ohio, and Sister Margaret Ann Paul works at Mercy Hospital, which is a very large Catholic hospital in that area. Um She's 71 years old. She's a quiet, described as a quiet and dedicated nurse in the hospital. Um, we are introduced to her nephew, who is now grown, a gentleman named Lee Paul. Um, on the morning of Holy Saturday, which is before Easter Sunday, she arrives at the chapel early to um, prepare for the day's services. And then we dramatically cut away from her arrival hearing a door slam behind her, implying that something not very good happened to the nun in the church. But we cut to a security guard named Robert Wodarski, uh, who is interviewed in the present, but is also um, portrayed by a reenactor, entering the chapel, finding it empty, and discovering the doors to the sacristy are locked. He has a key um, to the door, but he doesn't use it. He just tries the door, you know, sort of jimmies the handle or pulls on it. Uh, It doesn't give. And he assumes, which he will later come to regret deeply, that, you know, the priest is inside preparing or something's happening inside. They don't, you know, they don't want to be disturbed. Um, A few moments later, I wasn't clear exactly how much later, but still in that window of time. It seemed to be a little bit later, like, you know, like it was time for as they were getting closer to time for the actual services to begin, because. As a result of it being Holy Saturday, whatever you do on Holy Saturday, um, uh, there was another sister arrived on the site, right? That was the next. Yeah, it seemed like, but it seemed like some time had passed since, because the other guy was at the end of his all night shift. So I would think that would be like six o'clock in the morning, really early in the morning, as opposed to the the lady. Otherwise, why would he be guilty? Because like, if he'd just been a few minutes before her, I would think that the, the sister had long... Well, anyway, yeah, you'll see. Exactly. And we'll see as the, as the timeline sort of unfolds. So, they, yeah, the second um, nun that you referred to is Sister Madeline Marie Gordon. And she, I believe as she is walking towards the chapel, she will later say she spotted an, a man she didn't recognize emerging from that area. She says, identifies him as a black male, which is a potentially problematic description for a white well, woman to be making honestly, as we've learned again and again. at the time in the episode, she didn't. She just said that... She wasn't familiar. He was somebody coming from the area that she wasn't familiar with. Right. She didn't describe him as being a a black. I mean, as they reported it, I don't know what she said when she spoke with the police, but as they reported it in the show, that was not a component of her, um, of her initial description. Okay. Just unfamiliar. Um, Unfamiliar. 
She arrives at the chapel. She does have a key to the sacristy doors. She opens it. Inside, she discovers that Sister Margaret Ann has been brutally murdered. She has been stabbed 31 times. She has been posed as if she is inside of a coffin. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. So Sister Madeline Marie Gordon discovers the body of Sister Margaret Ann Paul inside the sacristy of the chapel. She's been stabbed 31 times. There is a bloody altar cloth next to her, I believe. Was that where it was sort of lying crumpled on the floor? I can't. It was unclear because of the way that the description of what happened unfolds. There was something around her neck, right? Wasn't there... Something yes. wrapped around her neck. I don't know if it was the cloth or if it was... I'm not sure where yeah. things were. It was a little higgledy-piggledy. And they said that the crime scene got pretty contaminated because a lot of people came and went. But Right. And what it, happens is Sister uh, Madeline runs to get the cops who are working on duty. And by the time those two cops show up at the sacristy, it's full of other nuns. There's a, one of the priests who works the hospitals praying over the body. Yeah, it's massive contamination of the scene. They all just sort of rush to where the body was, which in a way it's like, I understand if you just hear that a nun is is dead, you think maybe it's a heart attack. You think maybe you can do CPR. You run into the room and your instinct isn't to immediately, unless you're viscerally horrified by the scene, you don't want to. But it's also like a member of your family being killed in the house that you live in. Right, yeah. While you're home. You know what I mean? Like everybody rushes if somebody said that because it's a very familial sort of bond. They don't, it's not like they leave to go live. They all lived there. Yeah, absolutely. So it's sort of understandable, but it's not the best thing for the investigation. So no, the the cops initially suspect that this might be the work of a serial killer that they've they've been tracking for years. A, a guy who is named the or you know we don't know if it's a guy or a girl at this point. An individual named the Sunday Morning Slasher who was believed responsible for forty victims in between 1974 and 1980. Um, some of the details of Sister Margaret's murder match some of the crimes attributed to the Sunday Morning because Slasher she was both yeah. strangled and stabbed. Right. They thought it was that it might be the same murderer because the the mo was some there was some things that didn't match up, but the fact that she had been strangled and stabbed, they said, seemed consistent with. Because yeah, thirty one stab wounds—that's savage. Yeah, it's it's it, there's that rage is a in the crime. savage. Yeah. It seems like yeah. rage or some sort of extreme response. I, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, passion of some sort. So the investigation kind of narrows in on who was in the vicinity of the sacristy at the time that had the physical strength to commit this crime. So they looked to the two most likely men who were close by, and there were two priests who worked at this hospital, hospital excuse me, and they were described as being polar opposites of each other, both in size and in demeanor. And one was Father Jerome Svatecki, or Swatecki. I'm not sure I caught the actual spelling of his last name. Um, he's a big guy, big personality, certainly strong enough to have pulled off the murder. Um, seemed on one side to be friendly with everybody, but also no, had a reputation for his No, he seemed to be squadron. friendly with men. He, was, oh. he didn't get along with women. He didn't seem to like women. Right. But he was often outside um, with, the, with guys, the ambulance, yeah. with the guys smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee and joking. So I, my takeaway was he didn't like women particularly. 
Right. And we see the reenactments are classy. I know I always judge the reenactments. They're sort of expressionistic. There's not a lot of dialogue. Very involved. in the background. Very yeah, and pretty very accurate. They were pretty well cast, I thought. They they seemed yeah. very representative of the people because they also showed us uh, shots of the people who were being depicted and they were pretty representative and yeah, you're right, not obtrusive. There wasn't it wasn't dramatized at all. I don't think any of them said anything. No, absolutely. Um, the the interview subjects include a nice sprinkling of people who are actually connected to the events of the crime or the day of the crime and some people who are sort of qualified to be talking about. Even the resident crime journalist is somebody who covered uh, later portions of this story for, I look like Court TV or some related network. These were people who were actually familiar with the case and not just reading a yeah, script. The about security the guard who tried right. the door and found it locked is one of them. Um the the and, and members of the of the sister's family, absolutely. Okay, and so the other priest, though the guy who's the polar opposite of Father Svetecki, is named Father Robinson. Was it Eugene Robinson? I miss. They say his first name later, but they just use his last name early on in the. I special. don't remember. I didn't write it down. Well, he's the opposite of Father Svetecki. Excuse me, Father Svetecki. Um, diminutive, quiet, small. So the police bring him in for questioning, and he tells them a really weird story. He says, yes, I do know something of value. The killer, after committing the murder, basically stepped right into my confessional and confessed to the crime. And I have to say that that was the most suspicious thing that happened in the whole show. Because A, as they point out almost immediately... Telling somebody that somebody came to your confessional is the same thing because what he then says is he won't tell them who because it's, exactly. the, it's the seal of the confessional. But telling somebody that somebody confessed to you in the first place is also covered by the seal. So Absolutely. that was a violation. But if you wanted somebody to if you wanted people to look at anyone but you, I I I. I I took this down in my head because it's a mm-hmm. great note for writing murder mysteries. If you want to deflect attention, say that you know who the murderer is, but you won't tell. Exactly. Which means it isn't you. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And it's a great, it was, I was like, oh, well, that's why he said that. And he wouldn't, and they had pressed him some even before he said that, but it was, yeah, it was, it was a strange, it was a very strange dichotomy for him to do the one thing and then claim the 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 sanctity of the seal of confession. It was really weird, and apparently, it really pissed off the lead detective in 1980. That was Detective Marks because he was a practicing Catholic, and he pointed out the very hypocrisy you just pointed out. You can't yeah. break the seal by saying the guy made the confession. You've already broken the seal, it's not right? Like you so have then to tell us who it is that. because you've already violated your uh, your I don't know oath or whatever they take. And, and so it gets even worse with Father Robinson because he then says, um, yes, I'll submit to a lie detector test. And yes, I'll let you search my apartment. So he submits to the lie detector test. He does show signs of deception, I believe. And then when they search his apartment, he signs something that exonerates them from having to get a search warrant. Yeah, it was, this is there fine. Was a it's okay with me. It. But it's a consent to be searched. They discover proof that he's addicted to Valium which then invalidates the results of the lie detector test that he consented to. And it's to like, be fair, and, and, and uh, Father Robinson also said that that might be why they were detecting consistencies because he'd right. been given Valium because he was so upset about um, the sister's death to calm him down, but that it might have resulted in him seeming to be deception. So yeah, he was kind of all over the place. They also found, um, a a dagger that I I will say, you know, I don't know if it amounts to, if if it's important, but it perfectly matches the dagger used in the recreation. (laughs) (laughs) They found a letter opener that looked like a letter opener, right? A little scimitar that he would, that was, you know, just like the one they used in the recreation of the murder, but obviously mm-hmm. that's irrelevant. I'm being silly. Of course. Um, any other facts that I missed before we do the time jump? Because there is a whopper of a time jump in this case. I'm trying to think of anybody else. Oh yes, the um, the there was the in Texas they arrested the guy they were looking for 
um, mm-hmm. who they thought was the Sunday morning slasher. That's um, correct. And, and they mm-hmm. asked him about different crimes in the area, and he actually said, oh, yeah, this murder and this murder. But he said, no, but I didn't go to a hospital and kill a nun. I didn't do that. And they were saying if he was willing to cop to other murders, but not that one, that seemed pretty convincing. And they were able, I think, as I recall it, to prove that he was elsewhere at the time of the crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he the was also... Thing, oh, go ahead. He, yeah, he matched the description that Sister Madeline had given of, of the, the strange man coming from the chapel. This Carol Watts is who they arrested as the Sunday morning slasher, and he was a black man of about the same height. You know, yeah, so, yeah. the Sunday morning anyway, slasher, sure. was it? So that did match, which makes me think she probably said that. The other thing that they brought up at the time was there was somebody at the time, right after the murder, at the time of it was reported that there was a man behaving suspiciously at the bus station. That mm-hmm. police, but by the time police got there, he was already gone. And I kind of thought that was a code for a man who was uh, guilty of being black at the bus station and they were looking yeah. for a killer in the crime. So right. I think that was probably the most coded racist thing that happened during the um, the other thing. Mm-hmm. And I have to think that the nun probably mentioned it, though they didn't cover it in the reporting. Right. Because that again, links them up to the person they were looking for and ultimately arrested and turned out to be um, mm-hmm. the Sunday morning slasher. I can't remember his name, Wilkinson or something like that. Uh, Carol, you know, that I actually do have it. Carol Watts. Watts. Carol Watts was who they eventually arrested as the Sunday morning slasher. Yeah. And apparently was. Like, if he was mm-hmm. confessing to Confessed. crimes, it looks like he yeah. must have been the Sunday morning slasher who they thought might have been guilty of up to 80 murders. I was like, my God, that's that an episode to watch. I to mean, find really. that story. Um, anyway, oh God. off topic. And it might but be I another think that... episode of uh, Lake Erie murders because many of them apparently were in this region. Maybe so. so. Yeah. We'll have to look around for it. But I think um, that's all the details before the, the crime jump because what happened was they couldn't really pin anything on Father Robinson, though he was suspicious and weird. Right. There wasn't any, there was no blood traces on the, on the dagger, even though it did match the, the recreation and, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. they weren't, that wasn't admissible. Um, and, uh, and there were other things, but they, the case kind of went cold because there simply wasn't any more evidence or any other leads. Did they talk about the, um, the, the, um, there's there's a mark on her forehead in her own blood that looks like an upside they down did. cross, and there was yeah. the, the the this was why I was confused about where the altar cloth was. They said the altar cloth had been folded and stabbed. She was stabbed through the altar cloth, and it looked like an upside. But I'm not sure if that wasn't later. I think it was later because I think what's about to happen the is unexamined going to cause evidence. A new de- right, the new detective. Yeah. So in 2003, right. so we're jumping from 1980 to 2003. Which is quite um, I, a leap. I, because a nun who was a little girl at the time of the murder has come forward to claim that she has undergone therapy and she has unearthed some repressed memories of incredible abuse at the hands of Father Robinson, who was under suspicion previously in Sister Margaret's murder. This part, it really started to remind me of The keep um, the Keepers. Is that what it was called? The Netflix special? Yes. You know? Yeah. I won't spoil too much of it, but it was like... So... Um, her memories are very elaborate. They feature uh, physical abuse, but also ritual murder. Um, uh, they got, draw the attention of Detective Tom Ross, who's now a detective at the Toledo with the Toledo Police. Um, he uses the woman's testimony as cause to re-examine the evidence, as we just mentioned, and he essentially reopens the case. But he brings in um, a blood spatter expert to examine the altar cloth. Um, He also exhumes the body, which is shocking, given how much time has gone by. Right. And then, in order to test the body, he then, to see if the knife that they found, the letter opener that they found in Father Robinson's offices, if that, he stabs her again with the same knife as a means of testing, which I was like... Well, that doesn't seem very scientific at all. Like, I, well, I was really, I thought that was a really strange detail. I was like, it, that seems like they were just determined to try and make the evidence fit the crime. 
Well, he it's about what they discover is that there are knife wounds through the altar cloth and they want to determine if the 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 stab wounds in the altar cloth match the wounds on her body. So I think what they did is they laid out her remains, put the altar cloth over it and then took the letter opener to see if there was a match because apparently the wounds were deep enough that they were still there, present in the remains, which is what freaked yeah. me out that, that after yeah. that amount uh, of time. I, it's very cold up there, maybe. Yeah. I don't know what the, the, the story was. The other thing they found was that there were blood stains on the cloth that matched the actual shape of that knife. Right. And because the, what they discovered in 2003 was that there was a lot of evidence that yeah. hadn't been ever opened that was some the evidence was still sealed in the original plastic bag still staple shot from right. the original crime scene because there there had been nowhere to follow it and i think they've done another search of father robinson's home in in 2003 and they've discovered books on the occult with notes and highlights in them right one and one book. of those is they the shape of an upside down cross is apparently an occult symbol and they're they're discovering they think and i think this was part of what the exhumation was about that the stab wounds on the altar cloth mimic the shape of an upside down cross and so if they if those wounds match the ones on her body it means the killer was literally trying to defile the body of a nun with the shape of an upside-down cross. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thedinnerpartyshow, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash thedinnerpartyshow. No, I meant in the car. So, um, Detective Ross brings in the blood spatter expert. Uh, the blood spatter expert's name was Dr. Kuzanu. And I have to say, they began to put me off. They started this sort of satanic ritual thing, I which know, I'm always like, satanic panic. It's like, yeah. mm, I'm just, now you're starting to like, there was one book about the cult, not much, and he mm-hmm. might have been researching something. Like, I just, it doesn't seem like enough to make much of a case about it, and the, the way in which they examined the knife, he said you could almost hear a click when they put the knife in the wounds. And I was like, no, you couldn't. Mm-hmm. They, that's mm-hmm. not a thing. Um, right. I, I just, there was, there was aspects of it that I thought were really fitting the evidence to the circumstance, to the crime rather than the other way around. Um, I, or fitting the crime to the whatever, like it was, right. it, it began to, to lose credibility with me. I had been there when the guy did the confession thing initially, mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. very suspicious of him when he broke the seal to say, I know who the murderer is. Right. That seemed really suspicious. But then when this started, I began to lose my belief in the investigation. One of the talking heads was a woman named Dawn Perlmutter, who is identified as a ritual murder expert. And I thought, okay. Loved her. I mean, but she spoke as if these were all what sort of kids. I mean, murders are horrible. Anyway, I, I, yeah, I having talked a lot about the satanic panic on the, on our show, uh, uh, the, the bigoted implications of so much of it, the lives that it ruined, the lives that it cultivated. I have the same instinctive reaction because it po- when it posits without evidence that, that murders, which should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, are elements of an unseen conspiracy that you can't prove or an unseen belief system that you don't really have evidence of there being any organization, I start to get really creeped out. Yeah, it starts to sound like a put up job. Like I just it's not a very good evidence. It's not very good evidence to me. Like there was evidence apparently and I'm not sure when it was introduced that she had been seen having a really heated fight with Mm -hmm. one of the priests. That seems way more evidentiary to me than 
it looks like the, an upside down cross. Although I will say painting the cross, doing like, you know, like they do with the ashes on Ash Wednesday on the mm-hmm. forehead of her with her own blood. That was pretty creepy, but a little theatrical, mm-hmm. like yeah. throwing off. That's what um, I would think. I would think it's about throwing off the real motive. You know, it's so stagey. It's so obvious. Um, The the piece of evidence that Detective Tom Ross unearths in 2003 that's actually really compelling is he re-interviews some of the hospital employees, including a woman named Grace Jones. No, no similarity at all. (laughs) Who later became a supermodel and good friend (laughs) of... uh... Friend of David Bowie, but then ended up working food services at Mercy Hospital in Toledo, Ohio. Not at all. We're talking about a pasty white woman from the Midwest, not Grace Jones at all. She's re-interviewed in 2003, and she says she saw Father Robinson hurrying from the chapel on the morning of the murder, which is far more damning evidence, I think, than anything else. Way more. I don't know. I don't know if she said it in 1980. And if she didn't, no, she to, actually but... said that nobody had really talked to her, that she that, that they didn't really pay. They didn't. Really what pay happened in her. 1980? That's my like it really. Did they just assume that the Sunday morning slasher was their guy? Yes. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And they just kind of dropped it and then it fell apart and they didn't really pursue it after that because they thought it was going to be him. Yeah. And then they got him and it wasn't him. And then. Nothing until 2003. Did I write down? I probably didn't because it's been a bad run with the notes for me. Um, when they arrested Carol Watts for the Sunday night sla- Sunday morning slashers crimes. Let me see. Yeah, it was very soon after. It was not okay. long after at all. And he had been in the area. Yeah. Like, so it was, there was great suspicion of him initially as the, the crime. The nun had seen a black man in the hall outside of the, um, leaving the chapel or leaving that the area where the chapel was located. Um, the guy turned out to be, you know, Watts turned out to be who he was and they were very much pursuing. That's what I think that they were pursuing mm-hmm. that line. And then the other stuff fell through, through the cracks. But when they reexamined, they began to see other uh, aspects of the evidence that suggested other avenues that hadn't really been investigated because the bloodstains were on the cloth the whole time. Mm-hmm. They didn't magically appear there. Right. So he goes to trial. They take Father Robinson to trial on this right. evidence. Uh, he is convicted. He is, uh, convic- he is convicted to life. He ends up only serving 15 years of his life sentence before dying in prison. But let's talk about this was almost like a Robert Durst moment, but not quite because they show the video of the interrogation where Detective yeah. Ross in 2003 brings him back in and he says he was the most one of the most difficult interviews I ever had. He had no lawyer with him or no representative of any kind. He was just really uh, what's the word reticent <laughs> to answer any questions, one word answers. And then Detective Ross kind of says, Something like, I think this is the end of our conversation, but in a way that sort of suggests, I think I've got you for this. He leaves him alone in the room. The cameras are still running. And he says, this is Father Robinson says, Margaret, appear to me and show them that I didn't do this? Or does he say, show me that he I He prays didn't do this? to the nun that yeah. she exon- helps exonerate him, that show them that I didn't do this. Right. Huh. Yeah, and do you think it's performance for the cameras? Do you think he knew the cameras were running? They also said that he inconsistently said he never locked his space and that he mm-hmm. always locked his space. So did other people have access to the thing that the the weapon that they're calling the murder weapon that had no traces of her blood on it? Right. Yeah. Even later, but um, but did match the blood stains and the wounds apparently. Um, mm-hmm. I you know I don't know if it was performative or not. They also talked about his uh, demeanor in the courtroom, like maybe he was still on drugs or mm-hmm. or whatever. I actually like think that I I have a different theory of what happened. I you have your I have a different theory face <laughs> happening. I can see you on FaceTime. Okay. I have a what? different theory of what happened. One what of the is pieces Eric's of theory? evidence that they presented um at the beginning was that the bones in the sister's neck mm-hmm. were actually broken. 
that the person who strangled her with his bare hands had such massive, powerful hands that they that they broke the bones in her neck right, right. When, when when strangling her and the only person who fits that particular description is father Sawecki, right. or whatever his name was um mm-hmm. uh, the guy who didn't like women um mm-hmm. and who also came in to the crime scene um while it, before the police got there Maybe mm-hmm. in an effort to alter or contaminate it or to make it seem like this is why evidence of him would have been found in and around the crime. And there was the 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 fight. Who was the fight with? My theory because Father Robinson is um is diminutive. He was mm-hmm. under five seven. Like he mm-hmm. did not have big power. 140 hands pounds, could, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could crush somebody's the bones in somebody's neck with his bare hands. He just wasn't that person, but mm-hmm. he could very well have been the boyfriend of father Zawecki mm-hmm. who she was threatening to expose. And mm-hmm. he was having a huge fight with her about her threats to expose him mm-hmm. um, for what the two of them were getting up to um, that mm-hmm. she had caught them at or had evidence of or whatever. And mm-hmm. so, Maybe they were even in it together or he was partly a part of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he might not have actually committed the crime, but he was still complicit in in whatever the crime was. Or the father confessed to him mm-hmm. um, that he had done the crime after having done it. And but he had done but he had done it for them. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he just confessed to him and he knew it. And what, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the ending was so suspicious and so spurious and involved the satanic panic that I just, I no longer bought it by the time they convicted right. him. I didn't feel like they had proved it. And I thought their behavior was very suspicious around it. And the other father really is a much better suspect. Yeah. Than he and was. it's 1980 when the crime happened. So the satanic panic was sort of, was it happening yet or was that no. sort of before? Okay. But still, if you're in a church, you're committing a murder, and you want to throw off the scent from someone who is actually a member of the church, you would right. consider putting little trappings of Satanism around the crime. And I think that, and I think the thing they found in the altar cloth was they, they were looking for it to find mm-hmm. it, you know, because the, the altar cloth had been folded at the time right. of the stabbing, so it it looked like an upside down cross, but it might have been right side up because how can you tell which side of the cloth it was? Because you don't know what you know what I mean, like. Like I just that's you know right down an upside down cross is such a general shape. I mean, like what dimensions are you are you asking that the you and know. the blood on her forehead could have been added while he was there giving her the last rites, which is what yeah. he was doing at the time of um, when the police got there, which is what right, Zawecki right. was doing. So I think Zawecki was either part of it with Robinson or did it himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, my motive is she was getting ready to expose him. If it wasn't for fooling around with Robinson, it might have been for fooling around with the ambulance drivers or other men in and around mm-hmm. the um, the environment. Mm-hmm. Because those facts really stood out to me and they didn't get mentioned at all. What didn't seem to be the case to me was that Robinson was up to committing this crime. Mm-hmm. Physically, like, literally, physically, her yeah. in the sa- in the sanctuary, dragged her into the sacristy, crushed her the bones in her necks with his bare hands, and stabbed her thirty one times. None of those seem like he, anything that he was physically up to doing. Not that this negates your theory at all, but do we know that he attacked her in the sanctuary, or do we think he might have lured her into the sacristy to quote unquote talk, lock the door, and then gone to work on her? Was there physical evidence that she'd been attacked inside the sanctuary? I can't I remember. I thought there was, was because there? Okay. Yeah. because there was because she had she was in the sanctuary preparing. The the first nun who right. came in said, "This is this is wrong. This is hasn't been set up properly." It wasn't. But, yeah, it wasn't complete. Yeah, right. So yeah. she was. That's where she was at the time. Like you're right. He could have convinced her to come in there, but that doesn't seem very likely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like come into come into the sacristy for a moment. There's something I want to show you. Like. I don't see. Um, well, it could be. Of, I, I need to talk to you. You've been threatening me and I want to talk to you about it in private. You know, maybe. I've come up with an agreement and then the agreement is I'm going to fucking kill you. You know, 
Maybe. I, I, you I know, know, like that could have happened, but it still doesn't explain the crushing of the bones in her neck. You're right. I don't think he's physically capable of. I didn't see that. So yeah. I'm willing to admit that he might have been in on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that maybe my favorite is that she caught them together and that because that would sort of begin to dovetail into the other sister's repressed memory. Another thing I have challenged, I find challenging. I am the um, same way. Yeah, but, I am the but same it could way. it could begin to dovetail into their sexual impropriety um, right. that she might have been in some way aware of at, in, in her youth that she felt that she magnified into something, or maybe it was all true, but it seemed more extreme than, than was possible because if they were actually doing ritual sacrifice, where are the other victims? Like, right. But they just left this one lying in the sacristy. Like the choice to leave the the problem with the satanic panic is there are all of these wild, crazy stories of ritual murder all over the country for which forensic evidence was never found. And they would get these children who would just start I know I say it's not a popular thing to say, but on the Oprah Winfrey show in the 80s, I saw it as a child. They interviewed this boy whose babies put in ovens and skeletons, blah, 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 blah. And at the time, everyone was like, we have to take these stories seriously. And it's like, we did, and there was not a shred of proof to a lot of them. The McMartin Ever. child abuse case is a great example. People's lives destroyed off of the coached testimony of children. Southwest of Salem, I think, is a, is a yes. documentary we did early on. It's like One our of third our or fourth episode. episodes. Yeah. yeah. This, is, this, was a, this was a chapter in American history that maybe doesn't get discussed with as much shame as I would like it to because it did so much damage and it, it covered up so many real crimes. Um, so yeah, I also like I was thinking without spoiling anything, if you if you watch this episode or this our discussion of this episode intrigued you and you were also um you said you think our criticisms sound valid, The Keepers on Netflix is I think a four, six episode series dives wow. a lot yeah. deeper into a case of this nature and really explores a lot of the the elements of repressed memory Again, and how the murder that works. Of a nun. Yeah, the murder of a nun. The murder of a nun, investigated by three w- young women at the time who really admired her, who have since grown up and are now adults who have been investigating the murder since then. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. It's a great story about citizen detectives as well as absolutely, and we love um, citizen detectives. The, the, um, the crime itself, the true are crime we, itself. Are we going to come back to the Lake Erie murders, or was this? Did they breach their? trusts or whatever how do you say that breach of faith i don't know did you lose no i found that i found it very well put together i this case didn't come very well for me you can't change because it's true crime you can't you have no control over the case itself so right i didn't feel like they did a bad job of reporting the case they reported what happened i don't agree with the outcome Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. i had suspicions about the outcome it seemed dubious to me um but but that's not the fault of the um, the case. So I could see us coming back to um, to Lake Erie, to the shores of beautiful, flaming Lake Erie. The flaming um, Lake Erie. For another holy to, Saturday. Um, we're going to have to do some more research on whether or not Lake Erie actually caught fire. I'm sure we're offending some Ohioan listeners right now, some party people who will sternly correct us on the Facebook I, page don't think so but maybe yeah I, I don't think we are we never get sternly corrected we love yeah, all your and, comments but, but, and lake area is small enough that it could actually that could have happened of, of the three like the other lakes are so massive i'm not sure that it's oh is possible. it is it the smallest of the great lakes i think so i think it's the that's not true. so great great now lake. that's probably what we'll get busted for <laughs> you're just you're forgetting lake lily put outside of um <laughs> let's see uh, uh, Lake Erie on fire. Go. Not content to let other people bring the answers for him. Eric does his own work here at TDPS. Right. Presents. We're still we're still looking this up because um, the city was still manufacturing what city? Erie, Pennsylvania, or. This is the point where people listening in their cars or at home are screaming the right answer at us, but they can't call in because it's not live. The Cuyahoga River fire. 51 years ago, the Cuyahoga River burns outside. Um, which flows into... Oh, it was the river that flows into Lake Erie that actually caught on fire. Oh, at the old blame the river defense. Right. 
Lakes hate. Lakes always do that. They always blame the rivers. I tell you, it's just yeah. It is a really it's a it's it's a it's a real problem getting lakes to own up to the. Actually, Lake was the victim. <laughs> well, that's how what you they want you to think. Lakes always want to pretend but it to be does the victim. I can't make. I'm no. I don't want to spend the whole show. No. You know, let's listen to some old guy look up shit on the internet. Um, I don't want to turn the show into that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, because we have something actually, it's probably won't be, it'll be, it won't be next week, but in the next couple of weeks, we've got a really interesting new. Yes, um, we do. We've got a new, uh, it's not, it's like we've said that we have heard from the LAPD and the continuing investigation of the murder of um, William Newton that we've profiled here um, on the show on a number of episodes, which Christopher has written down. 37, 48. 60 and 63 check them out in our show archive those are all the episodes where we discuss the unsolved murder of william arnold newton that took place here in in and around west hollywood where we live um um and the case is ongoing and so there's not really an update at this point to provide you with but we do have um an interesting new um wrinkle in the development of the investigation and mm-hmm. uh, there will be something about that in the next uh, probably not next week but probably in the next couple of weeks yeah and if things so, stay the course it will only be the second interview we have done here at TDPS Presents Christopher oh, you and Eric it. you said it was oh, an interview shit. I didn't say it was oh, an interview oh you didn't say it was an interview should, do you want yes, to keep that in or should we cut it out? Yeah, there'll, there'll be, be a, a new interview. interview. No, I think that's yeah. there. But it's not It's not with Detective Lamberti or any law enforcement officers. We'll just say that right now. Cause, cause, uh, and I'm going to shut up and I'm going to stop talking about it and we're going to let it just hang out there <laughs> and uh, be unresolved. Christopher and, slowly but surely tells you everything that you need to know. And it's uh, Elton John. He's going to be here. He's going to write a song for Billy. No, um, although that would be lovely if he did that. That um, would be lovely, wouldn't it? So something different next week. I always say that, even though we always sort of syncopate and our episodes. Now for something completely different, we're going to do an entirely musical episode. Christopher and I will sing every word. Friday, and to you. Friday, Friday. It'll be yeah. It'll Holy be just like Holy Saturday. Holy Saturday, a musical episode of TDPS presents. Uh, if you follow us on the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page, which you should be doing if you're not, TDPS stands for the Dinner Why Party aren't Show. You? You've seen our Wednesday questions, and if you're Angelina Farmer, you remind us when we don't post one, which we love because it makes us feel seen Stop and Stop harassing Angelina Farmer. I am encouraging Angelina Farmer. We <laughs> And everyone her. out there, bust Absolutely. Christopher so that we can bust Shea Butters if he forgets, if he falls down on the job. Right. He's our aggrieved manservant who manages post. the Facebook page. Okay, so recently we asked you, we do something called the Wednesday question, which happens, believe it or not, on Wednesday. Uh, Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. In case Sometimes it happens early on Thursday. <laughs> exactly. Or really late Holy on Thursday. <laughs> or really late on Wednesday. Um, recently we asked you this. What's the most absurd and inaccurate piece of gossip anyone's ever told about you? And your answers were so riveting, we've decided to devote an entire episode to them. So that is next week. We're going to talk trash about you next week. So, it wasn't bad enough that people did in the past. We're going to bring it up one more time, and this time on a podcast. On a fucking podcast. <laughs> well, that's one way to frame it, Eric Shockley. You're getting me back for spoiling the interview that we're going to have an interview. Oh, my God. Um, we're also no, going to talk about our own experiences. Our own, right. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shockwin. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.